once. There we go. Good evening, morning, night, afternoon, wherever you find a way to watch or listen to this podcast. This is me, Omar from Hardware. And we have a little bit of special edition kind of podcast. Uh, this, you know, this week's been busy with recording. I'm sure I think this is about my uh, third or fourth recording this week of some sort. But we're joined, me and Mike, good old friend of the podcast. Uh, we've talked about the OBC, the Big South before. We're joined by a special friend. I'm just so grateful for the strings that Mike was able to pull for this podcast to get Kent Brown, uh, a long-tenured member of the Illinois Athletic Department, uh, SID for the past uh, – or for the last 23 years of his tenure with the Fighting Illini from 2020 uh, to 2023. And I'm just so grateful that he's on. And I mean, just so excited for this conversation we're about to, to have. So thank you, Mike, for getting Ken on. And thank you, Ken, for being so gracious with your time and joining us. My pleasure. And uh, anything for an old Raja. That's what I, what I would say. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been a long time ago, hasn't it? It has been. I just uh, uh, 42 years since I graduated from Atwood Hammond. So um, it's been a while, but uh, always love to stay in contact with anybody from uh, back in the day in Atwood or Hammond, Illinois. That's where where I grew up and where I enjoyed first learn, start learning about sports and um, stayed in contact with a lot of people. So I always appreciate when somebody reaches out. I, I appreciate you coming on with us, Kent. One thing I do have to say is uh, Kent was part of the class of 1981 at Atwood Hammond. And that was probably the most athletic class that Atwood Hammond produced, possibly in history, uh, as far as football and basketball combined in one season. Atwood, if you go back and read the history and study the history, over the years, Atwood has had successful football teams back in the 60s, 50s. Um, and then they've had successful basketball seasons, but I don't believe they ever had one like we had in 1980 back to back. That was a pretty good year. We were, yeah, we were 14 and 0 and won the state football championship that year in 1A. It was a small school. And then in uh, basketball, we finished with a 25 and 4 record and made the Sweet 16, lost by one point to uh, paint in the sweet 16 or we would have been in the state championship or state tournament, the final eight, the elite eight in Champaign. And so uh, it was, it was a fun time. We just had a large group of, as one of those in small schools, you know, um, every once in a while, a group of, of people, young people come through that are all athletic. And so we happen to be a class of uh, 65 is the largest class in school history and probably 35 boys and, probably 30 of those 35 played, played uh, one of the, you know, played the sports. And so it was a pretty athletic group. So it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of great memories. Those are uh, the glory days uh, for some of us. Yes, they were just to kind of put it into comparison. My senior class in 1985 at Atwood Hammond was 23. 23. Yeah. That was yeah. All we the largest class. It all dropped off after that. No doubt. Um, anyway, I guess enough of our history at Atwood Hammond, since we don't have a football, since we don't have a high school or a football field anymore. Um, our school has consolidated with Arthur, uh, Lovington, Atwood, Hammond, which actually, uh, that kind of brings me to one kind of the tail end of your career at, uh, the U of I, but our alma mater actually produced a four-star recruit for uh, Brett Bielema and U of I for this. He's an incoming freshman this season. Um, kind of what, if you can, kind of tell us what your thoughts are about having a recruit like that come in that is kind of near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. So I was, I was very excited and very proud that, uh, to have him come from my alma mater. His mother grew up in Hammond, which is a very small town. It's where I grew up, um, 500 people. And and so his grandparents, um, she's a little behind me in school, so I don't really remember her too much. I don't remember meeting her, but I do remember her parents. And um, and so when uh, uh, one day I was asking our recruiting coordinator to tell me, give me some, give me some local football recruiting scoops so I have some information. 
and he started telling me about this uh, kid from Atwood and went to Arthur High School. Arthur Atwood having loved, you know, all the, the towns. And I was like, you know, that's that's kind of my stomping grounds and my alma mater. And um, so tell me a little bit more about about him. And he said, yeah, the coach had said they've got a young kid. He was going to be a sophomore that year and, and uh, pretty well-built athlete different than most ever any athlete they'd ever had and uh, he said he'd seen him on the basketball film and um as a freshman and and he he stood out right i mean he looked looked the part and so uh so i lived in st joseph uh in st joseph ogden high school uh, just outside of urbana for 20 years and my kids all went through school there and so I still help out every once in a while, like at the basketball tournaments, keeping the score book and scorecard, whatever uh, they need help every, every once in a while. Anyway, Caden's uh, uh, Fagan's um, sophomore year, they played uh, in St. Joseph. And so I got to see him in person and he walked out on the floor as a sophomore in high school. And I thought he looked like a 27 year old bodybuilder. Uh, his body size was incredible and he caught a ball underneath the basket um he caught a ball underneath the basket went up two-handed and dunked it with such ease uh with explosiveness that i i had was just shocked you know i mean most high school sophomores don't do that and so it was pretty evident he was a pretty special athlete and um illinois offered him to, to a scholarship that early on like that they could see that and then a lot of scholarships followed from a lot of big schools, uh, Michigan, Tennessee, um, a lot of large schools, big time schools came after him. Uh, but I, I was always told that his grandfather said he was always going to be an Illini and uh, he was going to make sure he got here. And so very excited when he committed and then signed here. And I think there's a lot of, of uh, promise and potential down the road. Potential is a scary word because that means that, uh, it's unproven, and yet uh, you think the the bar's pretty high, and that's I think the bar's really high for him. He he is a, a very special athlete, and so um, who knows how much he'll play here as a freshman. There's some uh, guys ahead of him, but he's got a chance to uh, to be a very very good player. I agree. I I believe he has a chance to be uh, extremely special. Yep. Um, it's it, you know it, it it amazes me, Kent, but. Uh, because I watched him basically from his JFL. I saw a few games when he was younger and uh, been all through high school. And it just always amazed me to watch him on the field, on the football field, just how much more mature he appeared to be, even as a, even as a, a freshman or sophomore. Um, and I've heard all, you know, I, I hear it all the time. I hear from several people. Well, he's from such a small school. How productive can he be in the Big Ten? Um, well, who's to say? You know, yeah, uh, I think this I, is where, you know, when there's a, a special athletes like that. And that's what, you know, Illinois, we have a, a really uh, exceptionally strong football staff uh coaching staff at this point in time who really know uh how to develop young talent and this is a developmental program and so we're uh, we're not in the spotlight to to be able to get a lot of five-star and four-star players and so uh even though he was rated high as a four-star by most people um we don't have a ton of those on this roster and so brett bielma and his staff and he he is really good about putting together staff, uh, though those guys will develop uh, young players, especially good athletes and special athletes, uh, and to, to, uh, to be productive players. We've seen that. You know, Devin Weatherspoon uh, a year ago uh, was the number five pick in the NFL draft. Now, he was recruited by Lovey Smith staff, but he was a zero star. He had no other offers. He was going to junior college and, and comes here. And, and even though he was very athletic, he had not developed yet to an NFL level player under the, the previous staff. And so Brett and his staff, to their credit, took guys like him, uh, the Brown brothers um, and several others and have taken them and, and put them in a position where they can be 
successful at the professional level. And so um, I think he's on a good staff to to do that. And, and I'm excited to see how they're going to do it. I just, I just feel right now and having been around a lot of football staffs for the last 36 years, um, we've, we've had some good, good groups through the time, but I don't know that we've ever had a stronger staff from top to bottom than what we've got on this uh, campus, the, at least the last, since Brett Bielma came here, that group, uh, it was very evident when he got hired, when he started naming who the coaches were, um, they were going to be very, very good and very impressive. There were three or four guys that first year who you can identify are going to be head coaches someday. And if you have those types of coaches and that coaching depth on your, on in your program, you're in a good spot. And, you know, we lost one last year uh, to Purdue, but I can tell you there's three. And I think he, I think Ryan took one of our guys, Kane, coach Kane, who I felt was a future head coach. Um, I'll tell you, Brett Bielma has replaced those guys with guys who have a chance to be head coaches. And so I still think we have a number of really high level coaches on the staff. I think we're in a better spot than we've been in, you know, in a long, long time in terms of the football staff and, and where we're at and what we're developing and, and the, the foundation that's in place. Right. I, I agree. Um, kind of, now you tell me if I'm making the right comparison, but I've watched a lot of Illinois football over the years as well. And with the staff and with the recruiting, I kind of compare in some ways John McVick and Brett Bielema, just the way they compare and kind of the, the way that they uh, develop players. I think that's probably pretty good. You know, when John McVick uh, came to our, to Illinois in 1988, uh, he was left a loaded roster uh, by Mike White. And uh, Mike had accumulated a great <laughs> group of players. Jeff George, who would be the number one overall pick in the draft, had redshirted. Um, the defense was absolutely loaded with guys like Mo Gardner, Derek Brownlow, Mel Agee, uh, Henry Jones, Quentin Parker. There were a number of future pros on the defensive side. Howard Griffith was on the offensive side, along with Jeff George, Mike Bellamy. There were just some really deep and good talented players on that group. So John took over a, a group that was already in place. Um, they have two totally different personalities. Uh, John Makovic was a extremely smart uh extremely talented football coach who was very um uh, had a great presence as a leader uh brett bielma has probably a much more uh uh bigger personality engaging personality type of person who can sit down and really talk to almost anybody um at any time and really connect with them and so he's got a different personality from a coaching standpoint, from from knowing X's and O's and being able to teach the game and and let you know drive those young guys to a higher level, I think they're 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 probably very very similar in that. It's just that their personalities are quite different. And um, uh, Brett has the ability, and I think a lot of that I'm 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 going to say a little bit. A lot of that has to do with his background of growing up in a a small town in Illinois, a, a farm community uh in Prophetstown who um he had to, to get to know a lot of different people and, and and engage and talk to and and that was the type of personnel that his his family uh kind of instilled in him his parents and so um I I'm very bullish on on Brett and what he has going for us um, here at Illinois I, and, and the future is really bright as long as Brett's as long as he's on in charge of our football program i agree um well i guess i'd kind of like to back up just a little bit um i know you started out at the u of i at, uh, as a grad assistant in, in i believe in 1986 yeah i was a student in 1986 and then um uh graduated in 1987 spring of 87 and then i was a grad assistant for two years and before I was a full-time staff member starting in the summer of 1989. And so 
when uh that era was was a i was very fortunate uh the basketball program with the flying Illini were uh in place and so i got a chance to be around them and get to know them very well and uh continue to be friends with with most of that group uh the football program was really starting to take off i i still uh very connected to a lot of the the people from that era a lot of the players they they recognize me when they come back and when they looking for for familiar faces and I'm one of them and and so yeah I had a chance and so for seven years I was an assistant in the sports information office here at Illinois and um, it was a great it was a great time period we went to several bowl games uh, we had some incredible players Dana Howard was a Buckus Award winner Kevin Hardy was a Buckus Award winner Simeon Rice was an All American uh, I already mentioned Jeff George Mo Gardner guys like that. Um, and then I had a chance to go to Kansas State University as the head sports information director. And, and in the four years I was at Kansas State from 1996 to 2000, we won 42 football games and uh, rose to, to number one in the country in 1998. Um, and to the point where if we had uh, taken care of our business in the Big 12 championship game against Texas A&M, we would have been in the very first BCS championship game. Um, against Florida State, and um, I feel like uh, we let one get away. We lost in double overtime to the Aggies in St. Louis that year, and um, it was but it was an incredible experience. Uh, there we had a couple of college football Hall of Famers in that on that time. Uh, Michael Bishop, who's in the current class that's going in, was the quarterback who finished second in the Heisman Trophy voting. Uh, Mark Semino was a linebacker who ended up in the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Bill Snyder was the head coach, and he's also a Hall of Famer and uh, really one of the all-time great coaches. And so that that was a really uh, formative period for me that, to deal with a really high-level national media on a, on a regular basis because of the success of that football program. And so in 2000, the opportunity opened up to uh, come back to Illinois, and uh, this, is, this is where my roots are at. This is where I went to school. This is where family was from. Um, and so it was um, an opportunity to, to to really rejoin my own, you know, my people back here in, in Central mm -hmm. Illinois. And and so uh, football, two years later, the second year that, uh, that I was back, our football team won a Big Ten championship and goes to the Sugar Bowl uh, to play LSU. Our basketball team, uh, Bill Self, had, uh, was hired shortly after I came back. And so uh, our basketball program won a Big Ten title uh, in Bill's first year, uh, and uh, his second, his first two years, we won Big Ten titles. Finished second place by a half a game in uh, his third year, and then that's when he left. And Bill, and then obviously Bruce Weber came in, and we won two more Big t Big Ten titles the next two years. So I thought that was the way it was always going to be. I thought we were just going to win Big Ten championships all the time. And, uh, you know, it, I can't, it's hard to explain that after that, we went into a little bit of a tailspin where we, we didn't make it past the uh, first weekend of the Big Ten tournament or the uh, NCAA tournament for, for many years. And so I feel like we're kind of getting back where our basketball program should be. Um, it, it took too long probably for a program and school like Illinois with the history and the facilities and the resources that we have. Um, but to have both of those programs in really good shape at the same time, um, Illini Nation really gets behind it. And you can tell we have some great fans uh, from across the country who follow us uh, wherever we're at and um, the passion they have, especially for our basketball program. I mean, you know, as well as I do, if you follow, if you're an Illinois basketball fan, uh, the passion never ends. It's a year round uh, endeavor to know about the roster and, what's going to happen and who we're going to play and how the schedule is going to go and uh, who's next, who's recruiting and what's the team going to look like a year from now, even though we haven't played any games yet, everybody wants to know about the future. And so uh, I think we're, in a, I think we're in a, in a good spot with both those sports. I believe so too. Um, if, if you could, could, I guess kind of uh, what, Omar was talking about the bowl games, but I guess the one question I had, I was kind of wanting to ask is over the years on the, on the side of the of football, 
um, compared to where football and in the NCAA was at when you first started to now, it's changed so much. Well, um, what, yeah, yeah, it, the changes, and I can, you know, I, listen, I mean, the world's always going to change, right? And so it's been 35 years, and so if I take that 35 or 36 years prior to when I started, it would have been 1952, okay? So think, I, I think a little bit, I'm trying to put perspective of how things changed from 1952 to 1987, and then from 1987 to 2023, you know, there's a lot of change, right, in between there. And so, you know, there was for forever, um, because of our compliance with NCAA rules and Big Ten rules, you know, we were worried, always worried about if a player took an extra cheeseburger from the food line or somebody, uh, you know, did anything uh, different than, than uh, what the rules allowed. And so it was such a um a stress point to make sure that you know we followed the rules correctly and over time um as the money has gotten bigger in terms of the television contracts and our television partners and you know the big 10 is the beneficiary as much as anybody um there's a lot of money there and so the players are the ones who are putting their uh, careers on the line every day and, and working hard and so somewhere along the line there needed to be some rules in place to allow some sharing of that of that revenue some way um it never made sense to me it never made sense to me that a music major on our campus could go play in a band uh at a bar on campus and make money give music lessons uh to youngsters and make money go give singing lessons somewhere, make money by their talents. And yet a tennis player uh, could not give tennis lessons. A golfer could not give golf lessons. A football player could not get paid to work a football camp with youngsters uh, because it was against the rule. It never made sense to me when you had this, this change when regular students could make money on their skills and because they were an athlete, they couldn't make some money on their skills if we'd have done that somewhere along the line years ago i don't know that we'd be in this place today uh where we're at where it's become such a crazy uh feeding frenzy in terms of the name image likeness rules um i do think that the nil is probably was probably long overdue because of what i just talked about and so i'm excited for uh many of these young people to uh, make a little bit of money uh, and so for some, it's a lot of money uh, on on their name, image, likeness. But where it's gone wrong, right, is the is the um, the use of that to rec for recruiting purposes, the use of that by schools to allure uh, transfers, um, that type of thing. And so the rules right now are so all over the place across the country. And, and the state rules, the state, the laws that are in place, uh, there's just not a lot of consistency. And so it makes it very, very difficult to play on an even field uh, when everybody's playing by different rules. And so until we get probably some kind of a national legislation in place, it's not going to be uh, very pleasant. So there lies, you know, a big change. You know, the athletes, there's, a, you know, there's been, we've had great athletes um for for many decades and um so from an athletic standpoint I, it's hard for me to think that today's athlete is significantly better than the athlete from 30 years ago or 35 years ago um i can tell you that they're probably training better today they're probably uh eating better today than they did at that point in time but we haven't had many better athletes than a guy like Simeon Rice or a guy like Henry Jones in the early 90s. Um, those are the type of athletes. I mean, Kenny Battle, Nick Anderson, Kendall Gill, those are superior athletes, whether that was 30 years ago or three years ago. Those guys, those people could play. Um, but I do think that a lot of this, uh, you know, from the 
the right, which again, I'm not against this, but it's just a big change was the ability to transfer the transfer portal, right? It's almost like a free agency thing. Um, that has changed. Uh, coaches now have to basically re-recruit their team almost every day that they're on campus or they will just pack up and they'll put their name in the portal and leave. Um, so, you know, it's hard for all of us, fans, uh, media, staff, to get to know your those players uh, like we used to when they would be here for three, four, five years. And now they may be here for about six months. You know, um, we've had basketball players basically come in in August, uh, play through, you know, March, and then they're done. And they don't, you know, they're, they leave campus and you hardly ever get to know them. You don't get to see them again. So um, our fans have a hard time getting to know them on a, a more personal basis, which we've often had to do. So gotten a chance to do. So um, those, to me, those are the biggest changes. And, and it's, it's, again, I don't know that it's necessarily always bad. I just know that it's a change and, and a lot of us would rather not have so much change it's all happened at one time that's probably the other thing it's just all happened within the last two or three years with the nil the, the transfer portal and the um really the the rights that have been giving the the power that's shifted back to the athlete right i you know that's that's one thing that uh, has struck me is you know you touched on nil and i have tried as much as I can to study and learn as much about as I can about NIL and the transfer portal. And I've decided that I don't have enough time. I don't have 27 hours in a 24 hour day to try to figure it out. I mean, it, I couldn't understand when, when they, uh, I believe it was it, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, but was it California that actually passed the first NIL law? Yes. So California. So there was already discussion happening around the country and, and California went ahead and their uh, uh, their lawmakers passed the first NIL opportunity, which tripped the trigger for a lot of states. And so all of a sudden, Florida had their own law, you know, and they actually California had passed their law. And it was going to become legal, I think, two years down the road or three. It was going to be a time period in between the, the actual passage of when it was going to become legal. Well, then there's states like Florida um, and others who turned up that, that schedule a little bit. So it was going to become legal sooner. I think Mississippi was one. Uh, I know Florida was one. Maybe Texas was another. And so that that kind of forced everybody to jump into the game a little quicker than maybe everybody really wanted to. Um, Josh Whitman, our athletics director at Illinois, was very instrumental in helping draft the the, the legislation uh, passed here in the in the state of Illinois. Um, he worked very closely with uh, other ads around the state, but his uh, legal background allowed him to really put together some. Uh, working with some of our state legislatures, uh, legislators to, to put that framework together for that actual legislation. So, um, yeah, California started it, and 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 the and the biggest thing that we're all watching, those of us in in athletics, and even though I retired, right, I'm still watching it uh, closely. Um, is another uh, California uh, law that's that's. Not quite law yet, but it's working. It's it, they've attempted to to pass it. Is a revenue sharing opportunity that allows um, athletes to share revenue driven off their particular sport. So, for football, for instance, there would be some kind of a formula in place that how much money is driven from that that school's football program in terms of television revenue ticket revenue, those types of things. And then it would be shared 50-50 with the athletes and uh, the players would split it uh, evenly for everybody on the roster. Um, 
and then the the school keeps the other half. And so that did not that did not move forward this last year. Um, I do know that it's something that can that they continue to bring up. Um, it would be a monumental shift in uh, the the revenue uh, for athletics in our country and, and how business is, is handled. So, um, I don't know that anybody except for the athletes are probably, would probably like to be and So I think what we're seeing is that they're, they're trying to come up with a way to maybe share that revenue, um, maybe not quite so drastically, but somehow share something in there so that there's a, um, a way to, to provide some of that, uh, without becoming, um, an employer employee relationship, which brings a whole new set of rules. And I'm not sure the athletes really want to be considered employees uh, because if that were the case, then all of a sudden maybe their job security is not quite the way it is today. Uh, for instance, our athletes today are guaranteed uh, four years of uh, not every, not everybody's a full scholarship, but so football and basketball players, let's talk about them because that's what normal people we're, we're discussing here. Um, they're guaranteed four years of scholarship aid, uh, which should allow them to graduate. Um, so, but if they're now an employee, I think that could easily, now you, you could lose your job, right? You could be fired, you could be cut and you lose some of those benefits that you have. There's insurance coverage that goes with being, uh, on a, on a team that whole time. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of benefits that come with being a student athlete and, and to lose that because you're become a, an employee may not be worth it. So, um, it's a, there's a, there's a lot of un, unknowns, uh, where we're headed with this. Um, it's a, it's a very interesting time in college athletics, um, we all see the numbers that are being thrown around for the television contracts. We know that coaches get well paid. We do know that um, athletes are with the uh, collectives that are helping provide NIL opportunities for our athletes. There are certainly some athletes who who do very well in that in that space, but it's not everybody. Um, it's just a it's just a very interesting time in 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 our world, and so. Um, and I, it'll, there'll be some more additional crazy changes from a lot of us who have been around for a long time that kind of, we kind of shake our heads. Just, it's hard to understand some of the, uh, some of the things that are there, that they're dealing with. Right. Well, that one of the things with, uh, with red shirts, we, we, uh, uh, our primary focus is FCS. And that's one thing that I've learned just speaking with uh, Chris Wilkerson at uh, Eastern um, and some of the other SIDs at uh, Eastern, Western here in the state. And that that seems to be one of their biggest concerns is where are we going to be when NIL NIL continues to be on the path that it's on right now because it's hard enough for them to recruit uh, at, you know high caliber athletes and one of the one of the concerns I always you know that I've heard a lot is well we can recruit them they come here for one season and then they enter the transfer portal because um for example, Texas A&M, uh, all of a sudden Texas A&M comes in and offers them the collective or a, uh, a booster offers them and they're gone. And it, you know, it, it's very hard for the FCS to really compete right now with anything as far as no, FBS. You're, you're right. And there is no good answer for that because of the way the rules are right now. And so, um, it's it's almost impossible for the FCS level, the the mid major level programs, to um, have a consistent roster uh, because if if they are very good, um, they they immediately look for other opportunities 
uh, and are probably being recruited by several by schools uh, to get, to have them, you know, to give them a better opportunity at a, at a higher level, which they probably see as a better avenue towards professional sports. Um, there is no good answer for that. I don't, I don't, I don't like it either. You know, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things I wish that were the same. I just know that we're probably not going to go backwards and um, how it all plays out and how it's all going to work out. I, I think there's, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about where we're heading with it. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to let Omar ask you, ask you a few questions if you would. Jump in here, Omar. Sure. So, uh, I mean, just great questions, Mike. I mean, really, really enjoyed uh, the discourse for sure. Uh, this is future college athletics. Uh, my first question is uh, just about the bowl run. So, I mean, you mentioned the 2002 uh, or sorry, 2001 Illinois team that went to the 2002 Sugar Bowl. Uh, was that was that run to the Sugar Bowl more special than Illinois going to the Rose Bowl in uh, 2008, New Year's Day, 2008, 2007 season? Because I think that was Illinois first Rose Bowl in over two decades and like second since I think the 64 Rose Bowl with uh, with Dick Butkus. So I, I just want to know your thoughts on that. So um, I think I mentioned, you know, when I first got started in the early, in the late eighties, we had a good little run. My first bowl game was the all American bowl in, in Birmingham, Alabama. My second one was the, uh, the Jeff George led team in 1989 that we go to the, um, to uh, Orlando and, um, and play. Uh, we were a top 10 program and, and and had an incredible experience. Ten days in Orlando, around that beat Virginia, uh, uh, in the in the game 31-21, I think, and and played. You know, felt really good about the bowl situation. Um, looking forward, that the 2001 team that won the Big Ten championship did not go to the Rose Bowl that year uh, because the Rose Bowl was part of the uh, the BCS, and they were. Uh, and so that meant that the Big Ten champion, if not part of the BCS championship game, uh, would be shifted to a different place, which was the Sugar Bowl that year against LSU. The 2007 game uh, team and 2008 Rose Bowl was an interesting story because we went into that. You know, if you uh, if you look back, Illinois, uh, we had a, an incredible win over Ohio State at Columbus that year when Ohio State was number one in the country. And it's one of the great fourth quarters in Illinois football history. Uh, Juice Williams uh, led the quarterback, uh, our quarterback kept the ball the entire, the like the last, drove out the last seven or eight minutes of that game uh, and kept grinding out first downs. I mean, it's like we were third and three every, every uh, you know, every time we turned around and he was getting four yards and getting a first down to run out the clock. It was really one of the, the best Illinois victories ever. And so um, it put us in a spot. We had lost a very, very tough game at Iowa earlier in the year, or we would have won the big 10 that year. Uh, it was on a penalty. We lost on a penalty on a, uh, because uh, I think uh, Eddie McGee, who was a former quarterback and had, had shifted to wide receiver um, had lined up, um, in the wrong spot as a wide receiver uh, had covered the tight end um, and which you can't do, right. You have to be shifted back. And he was like a half a step forward and was penalized, took away a touchdown off the board and we ended up losing the game. So if we were to win that game, we would have won the big 10. And, and uh, uh, I don't know that we would have been in the, in the BCS championship game or, or anything, but we would have won the big 10. So um it looks like we're going to go to either Tampa or Orlando uh, because we finished second in the big 10 that year. And um, it looked like Ohio state was probably going to be knocked out of the championship game, but lo and behold, there were some things happening that last weekend of the season and um, Ohio state shifts back up into uh, the championship game, which was going to be played in uh, Phoenix that year. And all of a sudden that Sunday, as all these things are happening, it's Ohio state in the championship game. And all of a sudden things are falling in place and we're getting word that it looks like we may end up in Pasadena. And sure enough, um, uh, it just, it fell in place. We were, we were talking with the folks in Florida. I'm telling you, that's where all our plans, all our focus was on 
uh, getting our ticket plan ready and our announcement ready with the folks in Tampa or Orlando. We didn't know which way it was going to go. And all of a sudden, it just shifted quickly uh, to Pasadena and just fell in our lap. So that became a, a huge surprise. Uh, the experience in the Rose Bowls, unlike any other, uh, with all the thing, the tradition that goes around it. Um, but that trip to New Orleans was was pretty incredible as well. You know, you want to win the bowl games. You want to win those. It makes it so much more enjoyable. Uh, but I will tell you that the experiences of both of those were were fantastic. And I wish we would have had more of those level games. Uh, um, I had a chance at Kansas State to we played in the Fiesta Bowl one year and won that game. You know, an incredible experience. We played in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, we played in San Diego. Um, and so we had some some wonderful bowl experiences, but there's something special about Pasadena, the granddaddy of them all, the parade that morning, um, the game with the, the mountains uh, behind the stadium um, in the late afternoon in Pasadena. Uh, it's a special, special place to play a game uh, and to be a part of it. And so I'm, I feel very fortunate that we that we went there in 1983. I was a student uh here and and um i couldn't i didn't I couldn't afford to go to pasadena that year and i remember saying well i'll just go the next time uh that the line i go and uh in 2001 or 2002 we played ucla uh in the rose bowl just you know a regular season game that's where they're home and that so it took till then to play a game where i was at in the rose bowl but then that 2007-2008 Rose Bowl game became the next time for me. So it, it doesn't happen very often. So I always, you know, if anybody asked me today, I would tell, you know, if you have an opportunity to go to something like that, don't don't say I'll just go the next time. Try to make it happen so you get a chance to experience it. But, uh, yeah, the all the things that happen around that game make it a, a really special, special experience for everybody, for the players, for the team, uh, for the staff, fans. Um, it's it's pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I I love your point on like don't wait until the next time because uh, in twenty twenty, um, you know, I'm I'm an army football fan. Um, when I was a when I was a senior there, uh, in twenty twenty, all the all the COVID stuff was happening and army found its way to the Liberty Bowl. And I was like, you know, there's never going to be another time likely when army's going to go to the Liberty Bowl. So, you know, I just uh took the flight on like twelve days in advance and you know. Sorry, you playing the Liberty Bowl. So I totally get that. Um, it's just great to hear. I always love rooting for. I, I love parody of the Rose Bowl, which like you know now that the uh the Big Ten and the Pac 12s agreement with the with the Rose Bowl is uh you know pretty much I think in the past for the twelve team playoff. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know where we're going to end up with that, right? I mean, the tradition yeah. started in nineteen forty seven was the first uh, Rose Bowl. Uh, and Illinois played UCLA in that first Big Ten, Pac-10 Rose Bowl game. And um, I would think that it's going to be really difficult to keep that tradition going. Right now, it looks like there's only a couple of schools uh, left um, in the in the league. And then and to re to reconfigure that with a with programs that would really be worthy of that level bowl game i think it's going to be impossible so yeah this year um i'm not sure how the bowl i haven't looked at it that closely where how the bowls uh line up this year but uh it will be very difficult in the future for the pac-12 and big 10 to continue playing that game so I, i'm sad that that tradition is going to go away that's going to be that's going to be one thing that's really going to be sorely missed by a lot of people yeah i mean uh I wouldn't say it's it's a it's a regret, but uh, I kind of wish I went to a Rose Bowl, you know, with the Pac Ten, with Pac Twelve, with a Big Ten team, uh, playing in it. Um, you know, I, I had a chance last year, but instead I chose to go to uh the Cotton Bowl with a Tulane USC. Um, yeah, it was great like Tulane's first. Yeah, re really great game. Tulane's first major bowl in like nine years since uh the Hoover administration. So equally as historic, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of sad because I, I feel like uh, college football is passing the Rose Bowl by. But I have confidence that the Rose Bowl will still remain uh, an integral part of college football. Maybe that's just the optimist, the eternal. No, optimist. I agree. I think it'll be a part of it'll be it'll be a big part of college football and be a part of the playoff 
the college football playoff, which isn't going anywhere. That's only going to continue to grow uh, in importance. And um, the the Rose Bowl will be a part of it. It's just that that long term tradition that's um, that's really going to be missed. Uh, the Big Ten, Pac-10, Big Ten, Pac-12 game uh, is really going to be missed because of the tradition of those games. And now, of course, four of those teams that were part of that rivalry, the conference rivalry is going to be a part of our own conference. And so uh, just it's going to take, I think, everybody 10 minutes or so to kind of get their hands around it, right? It's going to take a few minutes to, to get a understanding of what it's going to mean moving forward and and uh, again, it, you know, it's it's a change. It's it's change, and um, it's something that we're going to have to accept. Because I'm I'm you know, as we all know, we're, we won't be going backwards. We won't be going backwards. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess with that note, um, you mentioned the Big Ten expansion to now eighteen. Um, I guess from your perspective, are you a fan of, I guess, where the Big Ten is going in terms of geography, uh, its media presence, and everything? You know, you say a big fan. You know, uh, I'm a supporter of the Big Ten. I do know that there's a lot of smart people making those decisions. Um, there was a time, and I when I was when I was getting started, uh, it was ten schools in the Big Ten, and um, and then it shifted when Penn State joined the league to eleven, which I think was a great decision. Um, I understand every decision that's gone along here. Um, the UCLA, that's the way. So uh, Nebraska, again, uh, was very uh, disgruntled in the Big 12 at the time and was looking for an opportunity. Their football history and tradition made them um, a um, very probably popular choice to, to join the Big 10. Um, I don't know that Nebraska's football tradition, what they expected is quite carried over what they expect it to be, right? I mean, I think they felt like we'd come in and 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 contend for championships every year. And I think they found that road a little bit tougher than what they maybe expected. Um, the Rutgers-Maryland addition was, uh, I think, obviously it was, it was a television-driven uh, decision. Um, it allowed... Uh, the Big Ten to uh, bring in the, the Washington, D.C., the New York, uh, New Jersey markets, television markets, which were at that time when television revenue was driven off a lot of subscription based uh, with cable and that sort of thing. It was a big decision. Um, as we see cut cord, cord cutters and television changing, I think maybe those decisions may not be quite as uh, significant today as they were at that time. Um, UCLA and USC were obviously looking to make a move when they contacted the Big Ten to find out there was interest um, in allowing them to join our conference. They were having all kinds of, of uh, frustrating television discussions in that conference at the time. Um, the Pac-12 network was not nearly as lucrative as they had hoped and expected to be. Uh, and so they were looking for some um, way to even the playing field with the competition that they were facing. Uh, the revenue difference between the revenue that was being driven in the Big Ten and the SEC was far outweighing what was happening in the Pac-12. And so uh, both those schools and the markets they were in um, which happens to be where Fox uh, headquarters is at, which Fox Sports is the major uh, television partner for the Big Ten, uh, probably played a role in that as well, right? I mean, I think that's been reported and, and it's pretty obvious that there's some they, there was some help to get that to get that done. Um, I'm not sure that, uh, any any additional schools after that really brought a lot of value in terms of television markets. Um, but I do know that it appears that Fox stepped forward again and said, okay, Oregon and Washington, we will help uh, provide some revenue, some additional revenue to bring that if if you add them to the to the roster of teams that you have. 
Um, and so we saw that movement happen. We just saw Stanford and Cal make the move to the ACC. And this is after Colorado had already jumped back to the Big 12 and then the, the other corner schools with Utah and, and um, uh, Arizona and Arizona State make that move to the Big 12. So um, do I – I don't know where we're headed. I don't know where who else – uh, L, the the Big Ten would want to add. There's one school in South Bend that probably brings value, um, and they've shown no interest in um, giving up their independence from football. They've been certainly had opportunities over the decades to uh, join the Big Ten and have chosen not to. Uh, but that is probably the only school that that brings value, additional value to the Big Ten in terms of the television rights. Um, the more schools that are added, the more complicated the scheduling becomes and the more complicated the travel becomes. I don't know that it's so much football travel, um, because already we're, we're seeing games have been played from teams have traveled from coast to coast already for non-conference, uh, games and other things. So the travel part for football isn't quite as troublesome as, many of the other sports that are sponsored by departments basketball playing those midweek games uh if you're Rutgers and you have midweek games at seattle or in la um i think they're probably going to want to figure out how to to make that a two for you know one trip and two games right so they're not flipping back and forth and in the other way ucla uc usc oregon and washington are when they come east I think it's even tougher to travel and play in the East than it is to go West. Um, how are they going to be able to balance those schedules and play those games? Because there are no sacred nights any longer in uh, in basketball. Every night is a uh, Big Ten basketball night, and so um, it's a it's a way that uh, you know it's just going to be very complicated to try to to figure out those schedules so that to allow the athletes a uh, recovery period and um, class, you know, that's still important. You know, they still have to go to class. And so how are they going to do that? So we haven't seen, we haven't seen the schedules for the future yet. Um, we haven't seen even schedules for this coming basketball season yet. Those are probably a week or two away before those become uh, released, but uh, a lot of work, I think, is being done on what they're going to do. And we haven't even talked about all the Olympic sports, the baseball, softballs, tennises, um, volleyball, soccers, and how they're going to be scheduled uh, with those schools from coast to coast. So um, that's that's where the, the biggest um, question still arises, how are we going to get all those done and, and yet allow students the ability to, to go to class and to be students uh, but yet compete at the highest level. So, uh, I I like I liked I liked UCLA and USC coming in the league. I'm I'm a little torn on what Washington and Oregon bring, except that it really helps those two schools by giving them some other West Coast uh, playing partners, which I think is important. I do think it's important that they're out there, that they have somebody to go else to go play. I think it's an interesting take because uh, so many times you see uh, just takes on the topic that are one side or another, never really like in the middle, uh, seeing the good and uh, and the bad in um uh, in, in it. So I, I think I think it is interesting, and really everyone's just spec at this point. Everyone's just speculating. That's all you can do about yeah. <laughs> how it's going to turn out with all these conferences. So uh, I mean, we'll we'll see for sure. Uh, I never, you know, want to hope for any conferences, you know, conference to have a downfall of any sort. So just hope it works out for uh, all parties involved. Uh, you know, the Pac-12, um, they made, you know, you can look back now, and I haven't studied it super close, but it, it appears that they made some fatal decisions in terms, obviously, in terms of their television contracts. So the Pac-12 network, when the Big Ten network came into existence, um, no one knew what it would drive. Uh, Jim Delaney 
it was his idea and the, our Fox was our partners with it. It has probably um, gone way beyond what anybody's expectations were. Uh, and then the other, the other, uh, the ACC network and the SEC network, they're partnering with ESPN. And, and so they've given up a lot of their, um, their own power and value with those because of their contracts with them. The PAC 12 tried a whole different um, distribution model and it just did not work. It just didn't work. And, and so they fell so far behind that the schools that want to compete were finding they were just going to fall farther and farther back. And then this last negotiation was just an absolute disaster for that conference because they couldn't, they couldn't come close to, to what some of the schools expected to, to get and what, uh, what they, what they thought they deserved. And so um, it's too bad. You know, I, I will tell you a story uh, many years ago uh, we, we get together our groups each, uh, each year, um, in the Big Ten, the, the different groups get together for a, a, a day or two of meetings to kind of go over conference things and, and whatever issues of the day. The sports information directors every year get together for two days to go over our policies and our procedures and talk about our media days, scheduling, and you know just a wide range of, of issues. Um, and the... the uh, the lead person uh, rotates between every school rotates. And so one year I was, so I, I sat in that chair one year, I was at the front of the room and Jim Delaney came in to, to address the group and Jim Delaney sitting right next to me. And so the, I, we, I had five minutes with Jim Delaney to chit chat. Right. So I remember asking the question because the big 10, um, uh, television contract had been at that time prior had been really the, the most lucrative in the, in the country. And the PAC 12 had just signed a new contract that made it the highest paid uh, school for television contract. And I remember asking, I was like, because I know there's some competition. I know they're competitive people. And it's like, Jim, I said, uh, boy, that the big, the PAC 12 contract that just got signed, that's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on it? And his immediate thought was his, what he said, didn't even hesitate was, I love it. I think it's great. And it, it kicked into me is because he knew that the value of the big 10 and the big 10 schools and the, and the alumni and the television numbers so far outweighed the PAC 12 that if you're comparing what they got and he knew ours was coming up in about two or three years. He knew what our number was going to probably be, was going to be huge. And that's basically where we're at. Right. And so he was right. He knew how to, he knew how to play the cards and he knew how to make it work. And um, I feel bad. I feel, I feel bad for the, for the, the conference that the PAC 12 and that it's going away. Um, but there were some fatal flaws that uh, their leadership allow that to happen. They, they could have done that in a better way and they'd probably still be in existence. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the, 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 the downfall of the leadership impacts also something I think will be studied for, you know, ages to come. Uh, maybe it's an exaggeration, at least for uh, in college football circles, at least it'll be studied, but yeah, it definitely, uh, it's just, it's definitely a study. I think in greed and uh, I guess just, just following trends and like not knowing your own self value. Um, and I don't mean that in a degrading way, but um, no, it's... it it's it just it's just what it is um so my last question is i mean kind of a, a change of gears i mean in, re in recent years we've seen northwestern try to i mean solidify themselves as chicago's uh college football team playing multiple games at wrigley field has illinois ever tried to ever thought about doing something like that maybe not at wrigley maybe at guaranteed rate over the white Sox. Well, if you if you look back a little bit, we Illinois has played several games at Soldier Field. Um, I will tell you that the teams that we took up there were not great teams. I, I think if we did it again with Brett Bielema at the helm and with some success, like we're showing in some promise, I think our 
ticket response would be much better than it is today, than it was then. Uh, the last year that we went up there was um, uh, after Tim Beckman had gotten fired earlier in that year and uh, and Bill, uh, uh, our coach at the time, was in an interim situation and Bill Cubitt and it was not a great situation at the end of the year, Northwestern doesn't bring fans. They don't, they don't really bring fans to champagne. Um, and so we thought, okay, we take a game that doesn't draw a big fan. Let's try to take a Chicago and see if we can draw more fans. And um, which in essence, we're losing a home game, right? The home, the home team advantage, uh, which was never, uh, really what we wanted. Uh, we had played Washington and South Florida at, at Soldier Field. Um, and the crowds were not great. They were just okay. Not, you know, we could have done better in Champaign. It's a great experience, but it didn't work out. The year that we played uh, Northwestern at Wrigley Field was Northwestern's home game. Uh, and they had it. They signed an agreement with the, with the Cubs to play a series of games there. Um, I will tell you that after that game, uh, I remember Ron Zook, uh, saying that we should play Northwestern every year at Northwestern at Wrigley field. The atmosphere was off the charts. Um, even though it was Northwestern's home game, it, the, the crowd was at least evenly split, if not 60, 40 Illinois who bought tickets, uh, to that game. There was a lot of orange in the crowd that day. And so I know that Ron was even at that time said, I, if we have to give up a home game, it'd be worth it to play Wrigley. That, that was an incredible atmosphere. Right. Um, so uh, I know that they would be welcoming to uh, us moving a game up there. Um, Mike Thomas did discuss trying to move a game to uh guaranteed rate field Um but at the end of the day, coaches don't like to give up home games. And I can tell you that our current head coach does not want to give up a home game if he doesn't have to. And um, I think we could talk all day about how the atmosphere is great and how much fun it would be at the end of the day. I don't think he wants to give up a home game. And I don't disagree with him on that. I mean, there's a lot of advantage to that. So trying to play a game there, um, the non-conference game that uh, – maybe a two game series where it's home, you know, where we play, let's, let's just say Kansas, right. Let's say play Kansas at, at Wrigley. And then we play Kansas at Arrowhead or something, you know, something unique like that would be a way to possibly do it. But uh, I know Brett doesn't want to give up home games. if He didn't absolutely didn't have to. He really didn't want to give up the game that we were supposed to. He really didn't want to. I don't think he really wanted to play the game uh, in Ireland. Like we were supposed to play, uh, Nebraska a few years ago that got during COVID got uh, dropped and that would have been his first year. And I, I can tell you that I'm not sure that he was that excited about moving a game from Champaign <clears throat> to, to Dublin, Ireland would have been a great experience for everybody involved. And I know he was, he understood that situation and would have done it, but I think he was happy that we ended up playing that game here, which we won, right? We beat Nebraska that day. Well, that's no fun um, for coach people, but, but I, I understand. I know I know another coach is like particular about uh, about keeping games on campus is uh, Troy Calhoun. I remember that uh, he turned down uh, a deal from the Denver Sporting Commission to move their 2013 game against Notre Dame to Mile High or Sports Authority, whatever it was called at that time, the, the Broncos Stadium. And I think uh, the attendance that I guess the projected attendance showed that Air Force lost a couple million dollars by not moving the game to um to Denver so it, it's just interesting the way that coaches are which I understand where they're coming from but as a fan it's, it's no fun yeah I, I I I can't argue with you on that I there's some uh the experience of playing those and we've played games over the years in um some of those venues uh we played at Ford Field in um Detroit one year against Western Michigan, which was not a great decision either. Um, we've played games in Indianapolis. We played games um, at Soldier Field. We played games. We played Missouri down in the Dome in St. Louis. Uh, we have played some of those games around, and the experience and everything around it 
makes it uh, memorable for sure. But uh, there isn't a coach anywhere that wants to move a game away from their home field if they don't have to. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, see, I definitely see where you're coming from. Those are all the questions I have. Ed, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for answering them so greatly. Well, I tell you, you know, anytime we can talk about sports, I'm always up for it. And so uh, uh, appreciate your guys' time tonight. I enjoyed uh, telling stories. And uh, anytime you want to do it again, I'd be willing to because uh, I've got a lifetime of stories, of sports stories, of, of Illinois athletics and other things that every once in a while just kind of have to be shared, pop out of my head. So they're kind of stored. It's kind of the uh, DNA of, a, of an SID is – uh, remembering trivial sports, trivial things. And I've got a head full of them. So I'm, I'm willing to share those anytime. Absolutely. I mean, I and I'm willing to listen. <laughs> right. Well, you guys, no, are I, kind. I appreciate your time, Kent. Yeah, you guys are very much. kind. I appreciate that. And, uh, appreciate, uh, scheduling and having me on and, uh, hopefully we get a chance to do it again. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Sounds All good. Right. Thank you, Kim, very much. You guys have a great evening. Thanks, you, you too. You as well.